Welcome to the Safety Pro Roundtable. Every week on this show, you will hear from safety professionals around the industry as we talk about challenges, innovations, and stories that will help you lead a better safety program. Hi, this is Stacy, and welcome back to Safety Storytellers Podcast. I'm here with Joshua Smith with Hard Hat VR, and we had such a great conversation. He really talks about the children of the workers that are injured or that go out in the field and something could happen. He's got a really profound memory as a child um, with his father out in the field and really how that affected him as an adult. You're going to love this story. I'm here with Joshua Smith with Hard Hat VR. You have the coolest toys. We do have some cool you toys. Have cool toys. We do. We do. It, we, we have a background with toys, so yeah, it, it lends to what we do in safety, so... So I, before we get into your safety story, you you have you basically do training in 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 an, like an Oculus, right? Correct. We use a different headset. Well, Oculus is adaptable, one hundred percent. Yeah, um, a head man on display. So it's what yes. what the industry would call that. And so we've got a background uh, in in with toy manufacturers and so on and so forth. So from a from a software development standpoint, we've been doing that for a couple of decades and we fell into safety and we realized, hey, if we create training that engages audiences, um, people that are in the headsets and they're actually doing all the stuff we don't want them to ever have to this do, they know how to do it better. This is so. amazing. And you get to create, in, in an instant, you get to create different, I know it's done. Okay. In, in an instant, you get to create these different scenarios for people, like on the fly. I mean, it's just so cool. And I, yep. and I see this a lot. So um, I don't mean to sit here and just completely plug you. No, I appreciate it. I mean, I will, but it's just so, so cool. So um, I asked you, because we've met before and you That's know, right. we're, you know, tiny buddies. Um, I was like, what's, do you have a safety story for me? And you have a really beautiful beautiful in a way that it's it's a, a safety story that's personal to you so yeah absolutely talk, talk, talk to me talk so to me. um so i'm from the houston area um uh, born and raised uh, by the way fifth generation texan that's a big deal that's a big deal yeah that's when you're texan that's like you can find some sixers here and there but it's rare um so go texas but uh yeah it grew up in the houston area um my dad uh, ended up at the plants because uh, the housing market in that time, I think Urban Cowboy, that was just past where I grew up in that era where the plants are growing and they're continuing to expand in the 80s. Which and plants? Uh, what? Which plants? Pick, pick a plant. Pick a big name and it's growing in Houston. Wow. So Shell, Exxon, Mobile, when they weren't together, Phillips, Chevron, uh, 66. Uh, Valero didn't exist yet. I don't think at that point in the area. So that's, that's what we grew up with refineries. And so we're an oil town. Houston grew on oil. And so, um, it's not uncommon for, you know, middle-class families, like my neighbors, everybody around me, some sort of way, oil and gas funded the family. Got it. Mine too. My yep. up. I was from Texas and yep. I said, so I was 10 oil and gas purchased my first car. Yep. It sent me some of my college tuition. I mean, it is, it, Absolutely. it just was what it was. It is. Right? Yeah. It's really good for our families. So, uh, imagine, so I'm seven years old. Uh, school's already started. It's towards the end of October. And then all of a sudden the entire building shakes. Who, 
Okay, so what what is your family doing? What is your dad doing? He's at work. He's what? a he's a chemop processor. So at at Lubrizol. That's actually the plant he was at. Um, your dad was, and what was your correct. mom doing? Uh, my mom, I think at that time, uh, she worked for a doctor's office as an admin. Okay, and you're at school. So I'm at school. You're seven, so you're probably second grade. Uh, about second, second third, third grade. grade. Yeah, somewhere in there. Uh, and the entire building shook, like shook enough to knock the dust out of the ceiling tiles. And then all of a sudden, everybody's staring at each other, trying to figure out what just happened. Anyways, announcements comes on. Um, it was just around one o'clock. Um, uh, Phillips had exploded. And that was a pretty big deal because even my best friend's dad worked directly at Phillips. And my grandparents' neighbor worked at Phillips and so on and so forth. And it's on Jefferson Road off of 225. And uh, come to find out, out of that situation, um, there, there, it was the force of two and a half tons of dynamite exploded at that plant. How does that happen? Well, um, that happens, one, Philip having some egregious issues and then allowing a contractor to make them worse. And so is an exposed valve, valve leaks gas, gas builds up, turns into a cloud and it explodes. So we're probably about 10 miles away. Um, my, my elementary was, and uh, it was registered as a 3.5 on the Richter scale as, as how it shook everything. Um, uh, there was damage up to six miles away uh, from, from the explosion. And so for me, that was a very like, that's a pretty big reality. It didn't seem that explosions hadn't taken place in the past, but for for a kid, that was the first one I've ever experienced. Or uh, I, I remember my my grandma telling me about the '55 explosion uh, in the area. But that's when there's hardly anything around at that point in time. On the ship channel was a little bit bare, and so when something explodes, there aren't as many people there. There's not as many uh, casualties uh, that could take place from plant to plant to plant. Because if you've never been around a plant, you literally drive down the freeway. And it's one lot right next to the next lot, next to the next lot. Some of the plants intertwine because they show the processes and have right. different lines. Yes. And so, yes. uh, I mean, I remember in the late 90s, we had a, the St. Jacinto River fire. It was lit on fire because it's one processing plant is sending X chemicals to the next processing plant. So those types of things are, uh, I don't try to make them sound common, but it's a reality of life. Every Wednesday at noon, there is an air warning that goes on in the area. So if you're within X amount of miles, you hear it at noon. It winds up, cracks down. This was a warning. So some guy um, whose voice has been immortalized into so many lives uh, says this was a warning. If it had been, a you know, and it just goes through the process. So grew up listening to that as a kid. Um, well, fortunately for me and not so fortunately, uh, my dad being the man that he is, um, he, that, so that happened October 23rd, 1989. My dad immediately, like next week, uh, went and enlisted as a volunteer firefighter with the Pasadena fire department, um, which at that time, it may still be the largest volunteer industrial fire department in America, um, with over 500 volunteers. Dang. So that's a, that's that's just, a lot of people, right? It is a lot of people volunteering their time. Did he ever say why he did that? What was the- uh, my dad's passion is uh, to help people, not to be a hero, but there's something that somebody can do. I've watched that my whole life. Right. So for him, it was a natural fit. 
because it also slid into the plant. So he's a certified firefighter and EMT now. And so he, he joined SEMA. So uh, Channel Industries Municipal Aid, which formed back in the 55 explosion, I think. And so that meant anytime something would blow up in the area, that meant he'd showed up. So wow. the, 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 I, I use this term lightly because I don't, I don't want to take away from anybody else. But the, the PTSD process for me or the trauma-based process was anytime something blew up, anytime there was a news announcement, I would, good thing I'm in cells, I would talk my teacher into letting me out of class so I could go call my mom and make sure my dad was okay. Or I'd call my dad, 281-479-2851, like, and call his unit and see if he was there because I wanted to know he was okay. Oh my God. Because he would go out to those things sometimes and we wouldn't. He's on response. It's an emergency response. You're not guaranteed a four-hour cleanup. It could be 12, 15 hours. And so he's. you have a shift schedule. You know when he's coming home. Dad's not home. What's going on? So he's right in the middle of it. So so for me, safety uh, is a part of our family and what we do. Um, and I'm thankful for that. really, really, really scary. Yeah. As you grew up and kind of wondering if dad was going to come home because of something that happened external to you. Yeah, 100%. All, in, all the way into adulthood. It hasn't stopped. My dad finally retired a few years ago. Um, ultimately, he went on to safety and security for the plant, which really? means he was in charge of fire school at Texas A&M. He, he led several of those courses. He made sure that the, the, the plants were outfitted with everything they need, but he was still a part of the, the response team that would go and assess. Um, so, so how do you think that affects you as an adult today in terms of like what you do? You know, one of my... What I enjoy about what I do with Hard Hat VR is we help the frontline process streamline. So the, the facts, the data, the statistics, they're there. Um, I don't have to justify them. It's really simple. That that type of training actually educates and uh, increases retention rate at an exponential level. And if you look back at the 89 disaster, and typically a lot of disasters take place, they're usually avoidable. I mean, there's some lightning strike disasters. There's some here and there, but a majority of them are avoidable. I mean, the 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 filing complaints from OSHA from that actually, I have the quote because it makes sense. So this is OSHA quoting the disaster um, uh, about six months later. At the conclusion of the investigation, OSHA issued 566 willful and nine serious violations with a combined total process of. $5.6 million and 181 willful and 12 serious violations combined process uh, penalty of $730,000 to the fish engineering construction. That was, that those were the people that were embedded in the plant to do the work. And they had what? 181. It wasn't necessary. So if we're able to create a safer environment where we can remove the necessity of danger, like, there's hard, it's dangerous. There's a reason a shift worker gets paid 40 bucks an hour because at any point in time it could blow up. Right. However, if you keep paying the money to keep producing what they do, but five over 500 egregious violations and, and they're willful, like, they could have removed them. Some of them cited were something, it were as simple as, um, what was it? Uh, lack of process hazard analysis. Yes. So if you... If you have a risk mitigation plan or a safety management plan or whatever your company calls it, just put those things in place where somebody's actually looking at it eyes on. 
But into the 70s and 80s, in the oil and gas, it was the wild, wild west. And it's like, hey, we need this, build it. So were there any fatalities in that? There were. There were 23 fatalities. 23 fatalities. Yeah. So 23 families didn't have, 23 families experienced loss that day because of. 500. Yeah. And that's the problem a lot of times. A majority of plants, any simple OSHA violation. Um, I worked with a company that, that managed, uh, you know, elevated platform walkway services. Hey, that gate up there is not good, or maybe the rope ladder access is not good. It's cheaper for them not to fix it. Why? Well, they pay out a family six hundred, seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, but they don't build out an entire unit for ten more years. It's cheaper. I'm not saying everybody thinks this way. But when you start asking the right questions and you go, oh, that's why you're not doing That's why OSHA is a dual sword there, right? Sure. It's like, yeah, they, they go super cop mode and nobody enjoys them. But there's also a reason they exist to keep people safe. I mean, there's there, I mean, facilities and refineries that, you know, they've been around for 60 years and, or older and they're aging. There's things on their code. So that sometimes they get grandfathered in and, you know. Their access points or their situations that are not, or, or the barrier. I mean, all these things change and they allow that. Um, and, and OSHA doesn't necessarily come along and punch them in the face all the time. But um, it's also the choice of the company not to. In years of experience designing, it's between a company that understands really good graphic design and everybody else that you can tell they suck. Exactly. Yeah. Like it looks good, but it doesn't work. That's right. Yeah, and, and it's even there or it's in between and it's a budget base we completely understand that but a marketing company and firm it's like oh yeah yeah we do our we manage our own SEO well you probably didn't go very far this year <laughs> because you, you need like a PhD to understand that stuff oh, it's, and it's great right. but it's your search engine optimization is like you can do only do so much and not do it full time and so hiring out somebody that can do your full time in five hours a week is far more preferred in the same way works with, with the quality and the fidelity of, of graphics. And that makes a huge difference. And so for us, as we continue to go after multiple verticals, not just oil and gas, we're looking at power, gin, construction, warehousing, all that stuff. As we spread out in the different areas, we're always looking for those people to collaborate with to help us know what we don't know. We just want to make it look good. So the user will engage and we have a safer environment at the end of the day. So tell me about um, a couple things. First of all, one thing that is really exciting this right now with your industry, like what you're doing with VR okay. and like where it's going, like what, what are you on the, the cusp of doing and then where can I find you? Okay, that's great. Um, so where we're on the cusp, here's the crazy part. We, we, are, uh, we are early majority. And right now, the, everybody, out name it industry, they're jumping the chasm to virtual reality. And so we're there alongside of them. I'm from Houston, so we get hurricanes sometimes. Basically, we're, we're going to be like the hometown. We're like, we got roofers around when your roof blows off. And there's going to be a lot of companies. That, and I would encourage people to do their due diligence. They're going to pop up over the next two years, three years. Hey, we can do that for you. Right. And don't have the experience don't have the backing or the startup capability actually to, to make good on their deliverables. So they're going to, they're going to try to sell you, we can do it cheaper and we can do it better. And well, that's usually not the case. 
And so we're really excited. We're invested into this to push through to that point and to be one of the people that showed up first to be able to provide these services and opportunities. So our library, our personal library with Hard Hat VR is growing on a regular basis. And so from quarter to quarter, we're adding more and more um, content to our library. And we're also looking for people to partner with that. You know, you need you need a specific task and it makes sense. Let's work together in that because there's other people that need what you need, but you're willing to spend it. And, and if you're okay, we'll work out a great deal for you so we can help other people be safe as well. So. So where, where can people find you? Uh, hardhatvr.com. You can find me, Joshua Smith, on uh, LinkedIn. Okay. And uh, we can manage that and we can connect and figure it out. Good. So. This, is, this is the way that it's going. This is the, the way that training is moving. Get on board, baby. Yeah. Get on board. It's going to be fun. <laughs> Thank you so yep. much. Thank you for joining us on the Safety Pro Roundtable. This podcast is brought to you by Sospis, bringing you the best EH software in the industry. If you're ready to learn more about how an EHS software can transform your safety program, your profits, and your entire company, head to www.sospis.com slash podcast. That is www.sospes.com slash podcast. We'll see you next time on the Safety Pro Roundtable.